modern technology in some ways sort of gives us this promise like the internet is forever you know some people say like oh you put something on the internet it's forever that scares me to death I don't like that at all okay I like things to be destroyed you like them to be temporary rather than permanent yeah hello I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together the songs you hear later in this episode are both rough demos from a long time ago and should be listened to as such after the end credits there's a little gap and then there's kind of an extra track of a song at the end of the episode I need to get better please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you today we're getting better acquainted with Alex hello Alex hello Dave so the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? We went to school together from the year 1997, I believe. 1997? Yeah. Well, you saw me around in school, I guess. I'd you, seen you around in school. Yeah, I always saw you around. And I always remember thinking that you seemed like an interesting person. Or obviously a distinctive dresser. Yeah, yeah. And um, People say that about me. I was just becoming a little less shy around that age and I think when I first met you I was in one of my let's try and meet everybody who seems vaguely interesting phase and then I met you and I think she did turn out to be quite interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah, you had long hair I remember, that's what I, I sort of knew you as, the person with long hair that walks around school. Yeah, did I have did I have long hair when I met you? I don't think, I think you just cut it short but I knew you as the person with long hair. Right. You met me on a bridge, well we sort of, we got talking on a bridge in the park near Sophia Gardens, Land of Fieldsway, mm-hmm. over the River Taff. Um, you asked me if I liked Radiohead's... Paranoid Android. Paranoid Android, yeah. if I liked Paranoid Android. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And you didn't. Yeah. And that's how, <laughs> that's how we began our, Still our relationship, yeah, our friendship. The other question that I ask people is, what do you do now? I'm a teacher, I'm a music teacher in a college. What was the first computer game that you played? Good question. Well, the first one I remember... Yeah. And it's quite strange because it was called Rock and Rope. Right. And my mum used to take me swimming a lot when I was a little kid. Yeah. And my mum and me have, like, a... quite a big love of swimming. And we'd always walk back from swimming and would walk down what the roads in Cardiff. You know St. David's Hospital's on your left? Right. Okay. Imagine St. David's Hospital's on your left. On my left, And there's yep. two roads into town. Yeah. You know, the one that's sort of got the takeaways on it? Okay. You know that one, yeah? Yeah. Well, they, they had some arcades there and we'd always get chips on the way back from swimming. I ate a lot of chips as a child. <laughs> Loads of chips, in fact. And I'd always play this game. My mum would always uh, give me some money to play it. And it was a good game, and I've never played it since out of a kind of uh, reverence of that memory. So you only played it once? No, I played it loads, loads of times. Loads when you, then, but then, then yeah. you haven't played it since? Yeah. You never tempted to check it out? Well, it's like when you... With things like other computer games that I've come back to... You know, you come back to it and it's always never quite the same yeah. and, and stuff like that. So 
It's one of those memories which I've tried to always keep. Was it a platform game? Really pure. Yeah, it's you. Can't really remember that much about it, but I think you had some kind of platforms, and you had a little like rope that you needed to hook around the platforms, and then you swung a bit and climbed up and stuff like that. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the best thing ever. I was always sad when I had to leave it. I can't remember the last time I played it, but it can't have been that many times because arcade games in those days always, you know, there'd be an arcade there for a few months and then it would get replaced by a more modern game, like the technology could move quite quickly, I suppose. How old were you when that was? About four or five. Four or five. Right. Did you get a games playing computer at some points after that? I remember begging my mum quite often about getting a computer and then one day after school she found this advert in the free ads which is a a loot type paper for Cardiff and we went down to this place in Landeth near the Black Lion I yep. vaguely remember just went to this guy's house and he was selling this Acorn Electron an Acorn Electron is like the cheaper version of the BBC Micro, if you remember that from in school. I remember playing Space Invaders on it to test it out. And I remember that shift, the shift key was uh, fire. And I thought, oh, that's because it must be shifting the bullets out of the spaceship. <laughs> that's nice. So the first computer you got was the Acorn Electron. Yeah. And did you get a Spectrum at some point after that? Yeah, well, the thing about the Acorn Electron was... It wasn't successful, really. I remember seeing all the computer games, magazines and everything, and they'd have these wonderful adverts for like Scooby-Doo and all these brilliant franchises and just wonderful graphic artwork, really brilliant-looking games. And yet, there'd never be any of those games available for the Acorn Electron. So I had it for about a year or something like that, and it was a lot of fun, but... I kept getting frustrated that I'd look at these wonderful adverts and it would say available on Abstrad, Commodore, Spectrum, but never on Acorn. Mm. And then my mum moved in with someone a few months later after that and his nephew was selling his Spectrum. I bought it and it's like playing Scooby-Doo and all those games that I'd been sort of viewing in the magazines for a long time. And it was really wonderful. It was like probably one of the happiest weekends of my life, actually, when I, <laughs> when I first got the, the Spectrum 48K. Absolutely loved it. And how old were you then? Probably about six. Because I had a Spectrum. I can't remember when I got it. I was in Coventry, so it would have been between the ages of eight and 12. And it was, it was cool, but by, my Spectrum hardly worked. Hardly any of the games loaded up. Mm. I don't know how much that was my machine or a general problem with the, the computer, I'm not sure. I think it's a general problem with the computer. There's always a game that wouldn't load or the game that would only load one time out of 20. Well, only one game would really load consistently on mine. It was Marble Madness, and that was pretty much the only game that would consistently load. Some of the others occasionally loaded, but I would go over to my friends' houses to play, it on, <laughs> play games on their stuff. Spectrum was on cassette, wasn't it? I mean, mine yeah. was. Yeah, it's all cassettes, yeah. And we used to tape people's games off them on, uh, on uh, yeah, on cassette. Yeah. Uh, like tape over, like, I don't know, story tapes or music tapes to get to get the games on. Yeah, which is quite weird when you think about it. Now, yeah, you can't it? do it now. 
I mean, you can't. Well, I guess can, oh, you, can you do? You can do it with CDs, can't you? And you can burn them. Yeah, from you have you computer have s- files and stuff. Now, yeah, yeah. So I suppose that's true. But there was the, the cartridge games were the ones that you couldn't copy. Yeah, like cartridge because cartridge games are what I mostly played. I've got most most of my affinity in terms of computer games goes to cartridge games. Really, the N sixty four being my favourite console, the last cartridge game console that was ever made. Really? Yeah. After that, everybody, uh, even Nintendo, was sort of it's the Xbox, wasn't it? Mm. I get very nostalgic for the N sixty four now, but at the time, that was the new one. You know, Spectrum was the thing everyone was nostalgic for when the N sixty four came out. Mm. It seems weird to think that something that felt so current is now so dated. I mean, do you find that in terms of computer games generally? You tend to like the games from your childhood more, I think, mm, than yeah. the than the modern. Yeah, games. oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I would like to try some modern games. I'd like to try that L.A. Noir. Yeah, L.A. Noir does sound great. That's interesting, doesn't it? And I've had a bit of a renaissance with, well, a game from my childhood again, but vastly improved game of Street Fighter 4. Street Fighter 4, and what we used to play with Street Fighter 2. That's yeah. the one I've got now. Yeah. It does make you wonder. I mean, in some ways, those games feel closer and less nostalgic now than they used to in a weird way because we have this sort of retro culture that goes on everywhere or like that retro gamer magazine and loads of people talking about old computer games and stuff whereas if you read computer game magazines from back in the 80s which I do occasionally you really get like the sense of how quickly the culture was progressing like they talk about a game from three years ago as if it's from the stone age I suppose one of the things I remember growing up is I always remember growing up in a really hyper-futuristic culture of computer games. Like, they were always going on, they were always moving forward. And I suppose maybe it seems that way to kids today. But that's the thing I miss the most. That that sort of sense of wonder and excitement of and things being replaced. But I was, even at that age, I was always really interested in the history of them all as well. So even when my friends would be going like, oh yeah, this game is great, this game from two years ago is... is outdated and rubbish now this new thing has replaced it i'd always be like oh no but you've got to you've got to understand the the background and stuff so i was always quite interested in the history of it even at the time interesting what is the appeal of computer games i play computer games i played them a lot when i was a kid now i play them very very rarely but when i do it's a lovely experience but it's very Mm. rare but if i wasn't somebody that played computer games what would you say to me? Like, what? Why? Why do you? Why does it resonate with you? Why does? Why do games resonate with you? Well, I suppose they're kind of they're another world in a certain way, like the world of Street Fighter Two, for instance. That obviously doesn't exist, but it's such a wonderful flight of fantasy. That's there could be this green mutant from the jungle who can electrify himself, or this stretchy yogi who can hit you with uh, stretchy arms. I think a good computer game is making something that sort of feels a bit like the real world, but with these wonderful additions and crazy flights of imagination. And I think that just appeals to all people, well, most people who've got an interest in fantasy. Okay. What's different about computer games than... I mean, a film does that. Yeah. And everybody likes films, pretty Mm. much. Mm. Whereas playing computer games... 
it's more niche, isn't it? I mean, mm. first of all, it, more men than women play games, although that's changing mm. as society changes, mm. which is a great thing and all that. Adults that play computer games are a much smaller percentage than children. You know what I mean? Like, children play them, and then, to a certain extent, I don't play computer games anywhere near as much as when I was a kid. Mm. You probably play them less than when you were a kid. Definitely, yeah. But you play them more frequently than some people, would you say? Only since Street Fighter Four came out. Before that, I hardly played them at all. And then in the last few years, Street Fighter Four came out, and I started getting a, a taste for playing it online. And playing online, it's a completely different kind of addiction, because the game can constantly changes. How do you, the how strategy do you? constantly ah, okay. changes. People's approaches constantly change. So there's this idea called the Skinner Box, which is like a scientifically observed idea. Basically, I can't remember the exact details of it, but you put a rat in a cage and you give it rewards. And if you give it rewards in a random way, then it gets more addicted to the process of gaining the rewards. If you just give it rewards on a regular basis or something like that, then it gets bored and stuff. But if you vary the process, then it displays signs of addiction. Basically, that apparently that's what a lot of modern computer games are built on, this idea of if you build in enough random rewards into the computer game, then people will find it hard to stop playing. Okay. So, like, you, fill, you put in a lot of different outcomes, and uh, when you play online with other people, those outcomes massively up multiply, and the game becomes even more interesting. Okay. I think it also maybe it more applies to like that Call of Duty style games, which I'm not really into. I've never really played those. I played um, the closest to that that I've played is I, I was really into Goldeneye. Grand, no, oh, Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah. I love Goldeneye. <laughs> I don't love the one-player game Goldeneye though. Every time I play that, yeah. it does my head in. <laughs> well, that's the thing because and, and Goldeneye like every. Obviously, you play it with your mates and stuff, but every outcome's slightly different, isn't it? Yeah. Like you, sometimes you sniper someone from a certain point, and yeah. then they fall off a bridge or something, or then you beat them to death with the hands just before it's the last chance. And it's always these random outcomes that I think makes people really addicted to computer games. But what appeals to me about Goldeneye is the social element. Like what I mm. like about the N sixty four is it's a really great console to have with friends because there's four mm. controllers. So you can, like, Mario Kart and Goldeneye being my two big games, and I love them because you've got four screens, you can play together, mm. you, you can play against each other. There's a lot of kind of fun to that social environment. And and, and, and actually, with, with Goldeneye, you learn the environment, like, because each, each of the... If you're playing multiplayer on Goldeneye, you are in... You, you choose which location you want to play in, and you learn your way around that location and you learn all of the shortcuts. So I can, if I shut my eyes, I could walk around the GoldenEye locations and like take up position and stuff like that. And it's weird because I don't even like guns, particularly. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even approve of warfare, but I, 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 I really like that game. Well, I suppose but you that's don't another, like I suppose that's another aspect of computer games, isn't it? You, you can do this thing that you know, you don't really approve of in real life. I don't yeah. really approve of street fighting in real life. No. <laughs> uh, what a wonderful thing to do in a computer game. You well, know? yeah. The game I was going to say that I've played that's most like Call of Duty is probably Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is a great example of that. Like, I don't want to be driving around, pulling prostitutes into my car and, like, throwing them out again for a laugh. But, I mean, it's quite fun to do that in, in, in Grand Theft Auto. Mm. But I loved that. I got really addicted to that. But then I had to get out uh, of that 
headspace really because I just was walking down the street and wanting to jump into cars and uh, I mean I don't I don't subscribe to the belief that computer games mess up mm. people but at the same time my experience of playing Grand Theft Auto was I was just I just played it too much you know I just it was all I played mm. for like five days or something and I haven't played it really since I mean what do you think about the computer games damaging culture argument I can see that it desensitizes people to violence, but at the same time, I'm not sure that actually makes people violent. Because according to some statistics, and quite reliable statistics, I think, violent crimes really dropped off in the last few years. Like, there's much less rape and murder and violent assault than there used to be. In certain groups, it's still quite high, but as a population as a whole, it just dropped and dropped. That could be for loads of reasons. It could be for like things like CCTV, etc., but sometimes I wonder, is it's like, is it because a lot of violent people are getting a little more of a kick out of their entertainment than they used to? And if so, is that a bad thing? No, it's an interesting question. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to think computer games are just another form of art, and generally, art's neutral, mm. and it's what people make of them. If someone watches a violent film and goes out and commits violent crime. I'm not sure that you can necessarily say that's a causal relationship. You can never prove if that person would have done that anyway, or you could read the newspaper and feel very much like you're in a violent world. It's hard to say. I'm not for censorship, so I'm always very suspicious of the argument mm -hmm. violent computer games equals worse people. <laughs> mm. I suppose you could come up with a philosophical question, maybe a bit related to uh, the TV show that I'm trying to write at the moment. Oh, right. okay. If you could put someone in a virtual reality world, a violent person, and they could do whatever they liked, you know, to commit the absolute worst crimes to their heart's content, and it meant that they weren't doing it in real life, would that be a morally acceptable situation? That's a really good question, and one that you're exploring in your TV show. Yeah. You used to be... Well, you do. You are a musician. Yep. But you recently, in the last four years probably, have started writing or being interested in writing television, like you're, you're talking about there. Yeah. That television series is content, yeah? Yeah. That's what it's called. What's content about? It's set in the future. It's about six refugees from a virtual dimension who get stranded in a devastated and apocalyptic world basically they're in 24-hour virtual reality and then suddenly they're not yeah yeah it's about the conflict between fantasy like you were talking about in terms of computer games and reality which is the, how the, how the world really is yeah but it's also about ownership of data and stuff since all this iPhone, iPad thing has come around it seems to be this move towards computer companies owning the hardware and owning the software and people giving up so much of themselves to be a part of this network and it's kind of exploring those ideas what makes us human if it's just our ideas and our experiences and our lives then shouldn't we be worried that our lives are becoming more and more digital all the time becoming more and more controlled by a network more and more numbered and tagged and referenced and put in a library somewhere and I'm a little bit scared of the amount of information that the internet takes That's an interesting thing really because like you say when you were four years old you were playing computer games and yeah. you were interested in the history of technology even then yeah 
and you have continued that on into your adult life. You, you're very tech savvy. You understand a little bit about hardware as well as about software, which is mm. amazing to me. That's been your interest. Mm. And now you've come well, to... A, one of them, yeah. Yeah, one of your interests. I'm not meaning to <laughs> belittle, and we'll get to your other interests, I'm sure. But it's interesting that you've come to the point where now you're very suspicious of the thing that you've always embraced. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I always remember having a conversation with my mates when I was a little kid, and we'd always say things like, oh, I reckon computer games in the future, they'll just be like real life. Do you ever remember having that conversation? Um, I don't know. I've always been interested in the unrealness of that. So I don't know if yeah. I had that conversation, but it's interesting that you did. The graphics will be so good that you won't be able to distinguish them from reality. That seemed quite an exciting idea as a child. And it seems quite an exciting idea now with games like L.A. Noire. Yeah, and which stuff. is... And the, the thing about L.A. Noire is they had actors, didn't they? And they've filmed the actors in lots of different ways. It's like the stuff they do in CGI for like Gollum or whatever in the mm. Lord of the Rings films, isn't it? Getting actors, filming them from lots of angles and making the characters look really real. Mm. Emotionally real, that's the key. Isn't yeah. It? That's yeah. the point of that. Yeah. So when you were a kid you were talking about how when you're older the world will be like real life, but now you're suspicious of that. Yeah. Why are you suspicious? What is it that you fear? I suppose I fear um, well another theme of content is the fact that they all sort of live forever in this virtual world and I've always been afraid of living forever as well I've always thought that's quite a scary concept I went to a Christian school and so in my early life I believed in God and stuff and I was always worried about this idea of living forever and I think that modern technology in some ways sort of gives us this promise like the internet's forever you know some people say like oh you put something on the internet it's forever that scares me to death I don't like that at all okay I like things to be destroyed you like them to be temporary rather than permanent yeah I'm always happy when something's changing yeah so I suppose I fear permanence Okay. And that's an interesting thing, in a way, because we've collaborated for years creatively, haven't yeah. we? And in many ways, we share a lot of the same interests creatively, and that's why we've sometimes been fruitful. But one of the areas where we've come into conflict sometimes is about the idea of permanence, is about the idea of me thinking that as I get older, my creative life moves more and more towards openness absolute openness mm -hmm. like this show my feeling is you can't fight against the river it's flowing in this direction and the best way that we could steer things now is for everyone to just get everything out like what you're saying is true being tagged on facebook stuff like that it's bad it puts you in a situation where you're at risk of not getting employed or you're not or your people will know your business and that will make you at risk in some ways in your life mm. but my feeling is if everybody gets everything out then maybe that means that things stop being an issue like with super injunctions and stuff like that if you get if if, if there if everybody knows that everybody has affairs then people stop being so kind of 
judgmental maybe yeah. that if everything goes out in the open if we're all just really honest then and I know I know this is kind of naive and I know that this is maybe even it's just an interest to me artistically it's not even necessarily something I would 100% advocate for culture but it's mm. what I'm interested in creatively mm. whereas you've always been very much yeah you, you don't want to put our music out online because you don't want it to be fixed and there and permanent and, and, and everyone can see it forever and you're going to be defined by that one moment mm. whereas I'm like if that moment's got truth in it it's a value forever anyway mm. so I'm happy for it to be out there forever as long as it's got truth in it Mm-hmm. That's my big thing at the moment, truth, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a source of conflict between <laughs> us. <laughs> I'm going to get another chair because this one's creaking a lot. Okay. If you're enjoying getting better acquainted with me and with my guests, maybe you'd like to help other people find out about the show. There's a few easy ways to do that. You can go on iTunes if you've got five minutes and leave a review saying what you think of it. That helps it get higher rankings on iTunes and stuff like that. What the show really needs is word of mouth. And in this internet age, that means liking the show's page on Facebook or retweeting it or sharing the link to all of your Facebook friends or Twitter followers, doing whatever you need to do in whatever social networking site you use. And if you don't use a social networking site, well, hey, you can just tell your friends or email your friends and tell them about what's going on. And an area that we also have conflict about, but also I think completely agree on, is realism. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's fair to say that both of us in the work we make, whether it be TV or music or podcasts or uh, writing or whatever we do, mm-hmm. that what we're interested in is realism. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But we never agree about what's realistic. No. (laughs) (laughs) Which I suppose is beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting a truer picture of reality. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's real in itself. That's true in itself. So, yeah, I'm comfortable with the fact that nobody agrees on what's realistic. Mm. Me too. Initially, you were talking about fantasy being an interest, and that's an interest for you and for me. I mean, by fantasy, we're, we're talking about extra real like hyper real more real so science fiction really uh, mm-hmm. is your primary interest mm-hmm. fantasy originally was my primary interest but I'm much more interested in science fiction now and you're probably a bit more interested in fantasy now than we, we when we began our, um, when, our when I first met you yeah definitely but I was really interested in fantasy as a kid I loved The Hobbit and I loved uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons and all those kind of things so okay. I do have, a, do have something of a background Okay, well, I mean, cool. I always try and hide that side of myself but <laughs> until I got this whole let's have everything open, be true. and uh, I just like the resonance of it, I suppose. Realism is something that appeals to you as an audience member. Yeah. So that's why you're interested in making it yourself. Do you think audiences are interested in realism? Like, do you, do you think they want to... I think they appreciate it when it's when it's there. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think that that is one of the main things that resonates for people when things ring true. Mm. But at the same time, do you think that in kind of modern media and art, do you think there is a trend away from trying to be realistic, trying to... Mm, Yeah, I think there is. I deplore that, personally. 
and I think possibly even computers are slightly to blame. It's not a coincidence that we've had this big explosion in CGI graphics and stuff, and yet plots have become more and more silly and more and more unrealistic, and characters have become more and more random and kind of egotistical, which is another theme that I'm trying to explore in content. You know, what's fantasy? What's reality? Are we making stuff today that's more like fantasy than reality? And I don't like that. I, li I like I like I like my fantasy to be nice and feel nice and real. Well, I think that what fantasy and science fiction does at its best is to make us able to see reality better because you're removed from reality. That's I mean, that's, right. yeah, that's yeah. the, I mean, that's almost, that, that's almost a cliche to say. No, that's the perfect thing to say about any kind of science fiction. It's got to be, the best stuff is stuff that deals with issues, that's stuff that's rooted in the real world and has resonance in the real world. Like Battlestar Galactica, like Star Trek in its day, and less like other stuff now, which I don't think really explores issues in, in a deep way. And it's a funny thing as well, I think that as we become more and more science fiction as a place, as a c culture, like I was at Salford Quay yesterday and I was just looking at the buildings thinking this is, this is what in the 70s they imagined the mm. future would be. We're living in their science fiction future in the 70s, amazing. Yeah. And I think more and more artists are becoming interested in science fiction because science fiction is becoming less and less fiction and more and more reality. And so actually the way, the only way you can talk about the world we live in, mm. politically, socially, emotionally, is to deal with science fiction ideas. Like in, in novels, you're getting a lot more mainstream authors writing science fiction. In uh, R&B at the moment, in hip hop and stuff, there's more and more people using science fiction images and science fiction concepts. That's because that's what we're living in. It's a nice time to be writing science fiction in some ways. But then at the same time, like you say, it's harder to get interesting original work out there because people are looking for the last thing that's sold. Well, uh, I think in it's like I think it's also slightly that people are scared of the stuff that could be really, really groundbreaking because it's too close to what to the life that we've got at the moment. Like there was this TV series called Century City few years ago, only recently found out about it, but it was set 30 years in the future and it's a law firm dealing with all the problems of 30 years in the future. One of the episodes, it's like a, a law show, you yeah. know, but science fiction law show set 30 years in the future. One of the episodes, parents have a baby by artificial means and it turns out that their baby was gay and the person who did the genetic engineering for them didn't tell them that their baby was going to be gay so they sue the the doctor and it's like a whole episode built around this one idea wow that sounds good it's wonderful there's another one where a baseball player has a bionic eye implant to make his eyesight better and he can't play in the major leagues because of outdated medical regulations so he sues the league and then that's the plot of the show and then there's another one. Well, there's just loads and loads of little things like that. But it was only one series, and it didn't get anywhere. Yeah. And uh, it's really, really well written. Do you uh, think those things don't get anywhere because audiences don't like them, or because audiences don't 
find them? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. I think they don't like them because they ask too many difficult questions and they don't find them because they don't get promoted for, for a similar reason, perhaps. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's, a, it's, it's interesting that you say difficult questions. Many of us may feel that our job is to ask the <laughs> difficult questions, but the people who allow us contact with audiences, that's not what they see our job as necessarily being. Mm. Entertainment is what they see us being primarily needed for. That's mm. our purpose. And that's a part of being an artist. I'm not somebody who says, oh, God, yeah, entertainment is a pointless act and escapism is a bad word. No, that, that I, don't, I don't find entertainment or escapism bad words. But I do think that if you only make art that is escapist or entertaining and there is no other difficult question element to it, then... It doesn't well. It doesn't say anything to me about my life, like like Morrissey said. Yeah, cool. The other TV show that you're writing, or interested in writing, or developing, mm -hmm. we should say, is about Neanderthals. Yeah. Now, one thing I found out about Neanderthals is you can pronounce them Neanderthals or Neanderthals. It's really a choice. Yeah. You've been correcting me about that for a while. <laughs> Just thought I'd make that clear. Anyway. Well, well the reason that I've been correcting you is because I want to rebrand them to some extent or reimagine them I should say so I've been trying to correct people's language about them I guess. why does it matter if you say Neanderthal or Neanderthal Neanderthal is older it's like the, a German pronunciation that's not been used since before 1914 or something like that and Neanderthal is a more modern pronunciation and which one do you like? I like Neanderthal which is the modern one? yeah okay I suppose I'm trying to rebrand them because I'm trying to write a science fiction TV series about a Neanderthal girl that gets brought back through genetic engineering into the modern world and lives a hard life, and an, but an extraordinary life, I guess. I've, I've started calling... I've even started calling her a Neander rather than a tull because I don't know it just seems more because it's still got so many bad associations that word you know, yeah if people, uh, people constantly if, use it in a if bad someone way. behaves badly then they get called a Neanderthal yeah like football hooligans they get called they're just Neanderthals yeah I guess your point and the, what I know about it is we possibly committed you know genocide yeah. on Neanderthals and so if we're calling our we, we were the hooligans are us they're not mm. they're not Neanderthals yeah I suppose we should quickly say what a Neanderthal is yeah please do <laughs> a Neanderthal is a form of human being that lived last lived about 30,000 years ago in Ice Age Europe very different to us physiologically and very different to us culturally as well but still recognizably human the way I think of it is that they were the second most advanced species to have ever lived, us being the first. So they're really, really interesting characters and there's not really been that much kind of in the way of fiction about them. There has been quite a few things about getting Neanderthals genetically engineered for war and stuff like that or going back in time and meeting a Neanderthal but 
there's not been so much about their character and their culture and their them as people and that's kind of something I wanted to explore some people might say that they're technically not people though wouldn't they I mean that they're, yeah. they're, they're, they are just a different branch of a same genus so we came from the same place but we slightly different directions after that yeah yeah basically they're the first Europeans they lived in Europe for about a hundred thousand two hundred thousand years before we did they may not count as people people may say that they don't count as people because they don't really display any signs of art They've had no, they seemingly had no concept of art. They possibly may have had no concept of spirituality or religion or anything like that. And yet they were still caring people. They still looked after people with disabilities and they still functioned as, as people do. Did they have consciousness? Did they, were they self-aware? I mean, I, I know we don't really know any of this stuff and, and, uh, and your description of Neanderthal is is yours based on lots of different things you've read but it's mm. not necessarily the only no. reading of Neanderthals so yeah definitely they could be much more animalistic than us like they could be much more impulsive or violent or unsociable but we just don't know and uh, you prefer to think that they're less that yeah you prefer to think that they are perhaps closer to us than some people say I think that they're probably much closer to us than we think, but I still think they're very similar to us in terms of being quite violent and being very protective and territorial as well. I don't think they're angels, but I don't think they're devils either. And there's quite a lot of evidence that we probably interbred, isn't there? Yeah. Basically, anyone European or Asian in origin has got a little bit of Neanderthal in them. Whereas everyone on the planet is basically African from 100,000 years ago. Yeah. But the ones of us who have lived outside of Africa for about 100,000 years, perhaps, have Neanderthal DNA. So we definitely interbred at some point. And it may be where ginger hair comes from. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. What appeals to you about Neanderthals? Because it's very, it's, very, it's very personal, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> you care passionately about Neanderthals, they're, they're, the way they're represented. Your, your pitch for your Neanderthals show, which I, I think is, is, is fantastic, mm. is very personal. Yeah. You mm. feel a connection to Neanderthals. Yeah. Um, Why? <laughs> I feel a connection to all hominids which is the name of any species that is that comes between the last common ancestor of chimpanzee yeah. and and us I, th I feel a connection with them because they offer us some understanding of our true origin of our true nature and of our past and I've always been interested in how things start and how things end. Like I was saying before, I really like, you know, something that changes. And I was always really interested in skeletons when I was a kid, for instance. I still like seeing a skeleton now. You know, I bought a cardigan with skull and crossbones on it the other day. And um, I really like that cardigan. I like images of skulls and bones and stuff. And 
They're the only person who buys a a pirate t-shirt and is interested in it for the the bones part of it rather than the pirate part. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So, are they human? Are they not human? What makes a human? That's something I've always wondered. And I've always wondered ever since as a little kid. What 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 am I? Why why am I? What am I doing this for? Why am I like this? And I think studying Neanderthals, and more importantly, writing fiction about Neanderthals, is a good way to get to know uh, ourselves better. And because we spend so much time with mythological creatures, and I've got no nothing really against mythological creatures. Well, you've had long, 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 long arguments with me about how much you don't like vampires and zombies, so I'm not yeah. so sure that that can exactly be said. But then it might just be the heat of the moment, it's fun yeah. to argument. It's the argument. heat of the moment. I do know that there's definitely a place for mythological creatures, and they're, they're great in their own way, but I think we have too much of them, and I think in, in our cultural storytelling, and I think we should have more of creatures that are actually we were actually real and had actual lives and stuff and Neanderthals really fit the, build, fit the bill for that so that's why I like them In your piece of television the Neanderthal girl will be a kind of outcast within the human world Yeah And you, I mean you're on her side Yeah, I hope, yeah I mean I suppose the, yeah, maybe it's a kind of um, I suppose there are some parallels with being apart from a group, you know, like being left out, being trying to be a uh, trying to fit in mm. in some ways, you know. And I've always liked the underdogs in, in 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 any kind of fiction, so that attracted me to the character as well. Okay, let's get personal. The comedian Louis C.K., mm-hmm. who you like, yeah, and I like as well. In so there's a podcast that I really admire called WTF with Mark Maron. This episode that we're doing now, like all of the episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, owe great debt to WTF. I, in many ways, model what I do on, on what he does. Okay. And he interviewed Louis C.K. They, they used to be really good friends. And stuff happened. And between their friendship, there was, you know... A gulf opened up between them, and then Mark Marin got Louis C.K. on his show. Right. And uh, Louis C.K. and him were talking. It's very personal, and I recommend it to everybody to get hold of it. You have to pay for it now, but you should. Um, it's not very much. Okay. Louis C.K. said that what stifles friendship is that friends hold each other to account for how they used to be. So they know each other originally and for the rest of their lives they're like, that's how they remember that person. And that's what stifles friendship, trying to live up to who we used to be. What do you think about that statement? I agree with it. And uh, do you think that we, as friends, hold each other to account too much for who we used to be? Possibly. Yeah, um, I suppose one example of that is you offer, you know, but it can be a positive thing sometimes. I mean, you're always going on to me about, oh, I should write more songs yeah. and stuff. And I suppose that's when you first knew me. I was a musician, very, uh, well, I'm still a musician, but very passionate about writing my own material and getting bands and stuff. 
I've done been less like that in the last few years. So uh, yeah, so I'm sure it could be a positive thing as well. It's hard to say, isn't it? Like maybe I'm right and you should do more music. Maybe you're right and you should evolve as a an artist. I mean, I I, I certainly hope that I'm supportive of oh, your yeah. new areas of oh, interest very, very but I just always hark on about the old areas of interest too because I think that you've got a talent for it and I mean it's a complicated thing because I have this kind of thing of like well I really believe in the music and I, I believe in the death of the author as well so I don't think your opinion matters really it's about if the music if the music's good it should be getting out to people whether you're happy about that or not as mm. the artist but that's quite a brutal attitude I mean and it's a similar thing there was a, a time back in the day, not really very far back, not when we were kids, but after I finished university, I worked as a library assistant in Preston and I was pretty miserable. Yeah. And we were making a, a music project together and that was my only kind of creative outlet. Mm. You came to stay mm. and sort of had an intervention with me and said, what used to inspire me about you, you don't seem to have anymore, you said. Mm. you said I've lost my inspiration yeah. as a person I don't think you feel that way anymore no and you might even have been right I mean you might have been now I, th I mean when I think about that it really hurt me at the time and really upset me and I was like well, what the fuck I can't be trying to live up. like I'm trying to live up to my own expectations I can't how can I live up to yours as well but you might have been right I mean you might have been right that at that time in my life I was not being as creatively fulfilled as I am now, for example, mm -hmm. but um, that that really, yeah, that I mean, that really hurt me. But I mean, I'm sure that. Well, I'm sorry that it did. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't exactly remember why I said it. No, no, and I think it's probably just one of those things I said in the heat of the moment, and I can be. I've got a really critical streak that runs through me and that can hurt people at times well I guess that's true but I mean I, I, I share that too I mean I, I, I can be pretty brutal in the heat of the moment without even thinking about it and 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 not I don't even I, I, I you know I say something and then the way it will affect the other person was not what I intended to happen mm. so I mean what's the worst thing I ever did to you I've thought about this actually. The worst thing you ever did to me was round about the same time, and think possibly at both of that times our adolescences were just disappearing, weren't they? Yeah. So we were kind of, uh, you know, in. We'd finish uni. Yeah. We're now we're in the real world. We're in sort of bad moods with each other for, for well, you know, just because life gets you down sometimes. I think the worst thing you ever did was one time we had a bit of a party or something like that and um, there was no food, no, we were all really hungry and you made a sandwich for yourself and just refused to give me anything. <laughs> Really? I don't even remember doing that. That doesn't, I think that doesn't even sound like something I would do. I must have been really angry with you. I think you were. I think it was a... Uh, it was just... You said something like, Oh, there's not enough food for everyone. And then you went... <laughs> big sandwich. Was it just me and you? No, there were a few other people there. Okay. That's weird. But I do remember that, and I do remember thinking... 
That's the worst thing I've ever done to you. Yeah, that sandwich, yeah. Make a sandwich and not offer you any. Yeah. It's pretty bad, but uh, I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm, sh- I'm surprised that there's not... I was expecting something much worse than that. I mean, uh, that's bad, but that's... That, that was the one I was time. expecting something like, I don't know, where I said something that really hurt you, like, on a personal level, but I guess that's a act that hurt you on a personal level. Yeah. I th- I th- I, yeah, I th- yeah, it, was, it did hurt me. And... I suppose there's been other times where you said stuff, but I don't really, can't really rem- remember any. Well, of you that don't stuff. have that kind of memory. I'm, I'm cursed with this memory for if someone says something or I say something to somebody else that I think is wrong, that I just obsess about these things all the time. So mm. I just have going around in my head, you know, for for a few years I had going around in my head. Oh, Alex said. Lost his, lost his inspiration, and I, and I'll have that sometimes for myself. Like I'll say something to someone. Like quite recently, I said something in an email that accidentally really upset someone, and uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, that goes round and round in my head as well. Mm. Even though I can deal with that spinning round in my head process a lot better these days, it doesn't make me unhappy. It, uh, it was like that. I mean, I think I'm quite good at forgetting bad things. And just you know, moving on quite quickly. It's yeah, been one of my strengths. I'm, I'm I'm not one to hold a grudge or anything, apart from that sandwich, which you know still hurts me to this day. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, so we, I mean, we've we've been friends for for years now, I guess. You can apologise for the sandwich if you. Oh, I, I think did, I didn't. I, did, I think did, I, did, I, you did I not apologise? If I didn't apologise, <laughs> Alex, I am incredibly sorry about that sandwich thing. Sounds like I should be apologising to a whole room full of people, <laughs> and uh, that's a. Uh, disgraceful thing to do <laughs> I'm sure I was probably drunk or s- yeah, drunk yeah, yeah and it wasn't that big a deal <laughs> well, but, it's, but it's just something I remember it's the worst thing I did to you it's the, w- the worst thing you can remember me doing to you I'm glad that you've forgotten the other stuff why what's the other stuff well I mean I think when we were in a band together when we were like 15 oh, yeah. 16 17 yeah. I, I'm yeah. sure I said some horrendous things to you yeah. you said some horrendous yeah. things to me too, but well, that's just trench talk, isn't it? That's just when you you're in the battle of art. And, yeah, I mean, and you, that, you uh, people say things that they don't mean. Well, stuff. that's the weird thing. We've been friends for fifteen years, and we've kind of creatively collaborated for around that amount of time as well. And it can be quite a fraught relationship because there's so much built up in it. Like I was talking about it the other day, and I was sort of saying the thing is that sometimes if you if you if you're creatively collaborating with a really close friend sometimes you bring the friendship problems into the mm. creative process mm. so you 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 don't necessarily dislike what the other person's doing creatively but you have a go at them about it because you're annoyed with them personally yeah and then there's the flip side of that where sometimes in the friendship rather when you go out for a drink and you just have you should be just chilling you bring the problems that you were having creatively into that friendship so then you're having a go at the other person about something because you're annoyed with them because they didn't like your baseline or whatever and mm. it was a good baseline they should fucking like it and then you and then you sort of you know then you and then you have a stupid argument about politics that has nothing to do with <laughs> with anything you're just annoyed about the what happened in the rehearsal room or whatever mm. it's a weird kind of entanglement that that you have to sort of deal with but we've been friends for a long time i mean mm. There have been times when I'm sure both of us have been have thought we might stop being friends. Would you say? 
No. Well, I've always thought that at some point in the future we might not be friends. Yeah. I've always thought that. I thought that, oh, well, at some point in the future Dave will probably do this, like, I don't know, get married or something like that, and, um, you know, we'll have kids, etc., and then we'll be less friends and it'll, it'll, it'll grow apart. But I've always wondered when that might happen, and it hasn't really shown any signs of happening yet. So in recent times, I've always thought, oh, well, it'll probably be mates for quite a long time now. Well, I mean, I don't, if, I, if I did get married and have kids, I, I don't think that that would stop me being friends with you. That no, wouldn't be the obstacle. You, but you know what I mean, like, it's one of those things that... I mean, the thing I've always worried is that we'll just have a massive argument. All right, OK. And then we won't want to speak to each other again. Mm. <laughs> well... At the maybe, moment, maybe an alternative universe that's happened. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem that likely at the moment. Hmm. But when we're working really, cl- I mean, I think. M- but, but but you always you're always a bit more like I'm not going to do this ever again. I'm not going to, you know, you you always have a bit more of an emotional putting the foot down, almost somewhat more. Well, than yeah, I my, do, I think. my current feeling is that yeah, I don't don't want to collaborate with you musically for a while. Hmm. But that's not forever. Hmm. It's just, I think we are creatively we're working towards slightly different goals these days and so for example if I was to work with you writing your TV stuff what you do I think is great it's not what I want to do and so I would have to change what I do to fit your thing because we're not going to meet in the middle in a compromised position I know that you like the idea of compromise but we don't really do it do we well we must have been doing something for all those years that we were writing songs well I guess so maybe compromise what maybe a form of compromise is arguing and arguing and arguing till you both make something that you're dissatisfied with in different ways but and that is probably that is probably one way you can compromise the way I like to compromise is finding common ground Hmm. we don't find common ground we argue we do argue a lot yeah yeah but we usually write good material. Do you think we're better when we work together or better when we work apart? I don't know. I think we're both as good. As each other? Yeah, in terms of solo material. We have things that we'd do differently, definitely. But I think they're both, in the majority of the areas, as good as the other. It's a weird thing. I like the work we do together, the finished product, often. I like it a lot. Mm. But the process, I don't enjoy. Well, and that's... Exactly opposite <coughs> for me, and I always like the process, but I don't really like the finished finish product. product yeah. yeah, but I think when we collaborate, we kind of bring something to the table that the other person has less strength in. Maybe and it challenges the other one. Yeah, and I think that's why it's successful as a collaboration. I collaborate with a lot of people. Mm. You're the only one that it's so fraught with. Mm. I'm not saying it's all you. I mean, it's mm. just it's a combination of the two of us when mm. we get together that that's. That's what happens. It's very emotionally invested. Yeah. That might be healthy for the art, but I don't know <laughs> if it's healthy for me all the time. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, you know, look, Morrissey and Ma, you know, look at Oasis now, you know. Lennon like, McCartney. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're... Because um, that's how good we are. <laughs> we're as good as these guys we're talking about, definitely. <laughs> so... You know, maybe the stormy elements are a beneficial element in some ways. My feeling sometimes is that I don't want to lose the friendship. Mm. I'm not as committed to art as wanting to lose a friendship, lose maybe. a friendship, and make the best album of all time. I'd much rather keep our friendship than make the best album of all time. That's interesting because 
there's a part of me that says that says if there was a chance of making the, a really brilliant album then I might sacrifice the friendship that sounds horrible doesn't it yeah but well it doesn't sound horrible it sounds like a choice I, yeah. I understand it it's, I think I would have said it ten years ago mm. I think when we first met each other that would have been my line mm. I don't think I feel that way anymore because I, I don't think I think that I don't think the value of a good album is perhaps as high as yeah. I as I would have had then. You know, yeah, I think I, I, I actually agree with that. Yeah. You know, there's so many good albums out there that you know, what's another one? Mm. You know, <laughs> whereas good friendships, and you know, this has been a fraught friendship, but it's been a good one, and mm. I've been very pleased to be to know you, and I, uh, you know, likewise. It's funny. I mean, I don't have very many friends who ring me up. But you, you know, you ring me up a lot. It's always asked me for a favour, but it, <laughs> you know, I don't mind that too much. Anytime, anytime. But you're quite a demanding friend, would you say? I don't know, because um, I, because I think that like, I think I'm demanding of you. Maybe, because yeah. I mean, I think I'm a hard. In some ways, I'm a hard friend to have, but that's because of the experience of being with me. It's quite intense. Mm. But I don't demand very much from my friends exteriorly. You know, what I mean, the, the, what I demand is that they will put up with me being around them, and if they put up with me being around them and I like them, then that, that's as far as the demandingness goes. Whereas you're very much more of a kind of person who, in terms of our friendship, who you're like, Dave, I need you to. Can you do this for me? Can you do? And, and, and I, I don't mind doing that. I don't, I'm not. I never. I'm not. Mm. I'm not saying I mind it. I think I've only been really been like that in the last few years yeah. since I've been trying to get into more dramatic things and I don't have any experience of it whatsoever and your background is in drama. No, it's true. So And I'm happy to be that person that... Is, I guess it's a strange reversal as well in some ways. When we first got to know each other, you were like the person who knew about music mm. and I was learning from you but also... I'm not very good with authority figures. And from the beginning, I'm challenging what you're telling me instead mm. of learning it, which is not necessarily ideal. But these days, it's gone the other way around, where you're coming to me to pick my brains about skills that I have mm. and learning from them. You're much better at it than me. You're much more well, contrite. I'm, I'm older. Not, you listen. And you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm, you know. I'm older than I was. I might not have been that way if, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's true too. That's 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 very true. Our friendship is is like I said, it's intense. Would you say, in a way, it's going to be a weird thing to say, but in a way, it's almost romantic. <laughs> um, yeah, possibly. I mean, definitely romantic in the sense of the the poets. Yeah, I don't mean sense. that. We, we we have no interest in sleeping together, but. We've both written songs about the other person. Uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. Like Lights, your song is about me. Yeah. I didn't consciously write it about you, but... Um, it yeah. became clear to us both that it was about me. Yeah, yeah. And I, was, I remember I was really offended by the Lights being about me because the lyric is, there's a, mili was it, there's a million lights in the sky and you... Is it better realise or got to realise? You just... Yeah, you've got. A, I can't it, remember it. There's a million lights in the sky, and you've got to realise that you were one of those lights too. Yeah. And when I first heard the lyric, I focused on the first half of it, there being millions of people mm. like me, right? And I was like, oh, 
He's just saying I'm just one of loads. Like, I'm not special. And then, about five years later, I heard it again. I always liked the song. I found it difficult because I thought it was putting me down, but I, I liked it. And then a few years later, I was like, hell, fuck. He's saying I'm one of the lights in the sky. That's, <laughs> that's actually... That's a compliment. Mm. It's, it, that you're not saying there's millions necessary. There's millions. Well, you're saying both. Did yeah. you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I wrote it, I meant it to be. I don't know what I meant. Yeah, I meant it to be both because I always. I'm not very good at writing. Sincere, lovely things. I've only written a few sincere, lovely things in my life, and I always try to strive for some kind of balance. But yeah, it was meant to be a encouraging line. But then I guess it gets to the chorus and it says, there'll never be another you, but I don't think I want there to. And that's a bit more barbed, perhaps. Yeah, so real, there'll never be another you. Yeah. That's the bit I always found the most complimentary, Where mind you. were you in the morning? Did you see the sky at all? Or were you ignoring this boring life? Cause nothing touches you inside You looked through all the lies And said I just don't know So real, there'll never be another you I don't care, I don't think I want the two So real, there'll never be another you By the simple light of your soul You came in and took off my clothes With a million lights in the night You have got to realize that you Are one of those lights too So real, there'll never be another you I don't care, do you think I wanted to? So real, there'll never be another you There's nothing to be ashamed of No there's not, no there's not, no there's not There's nothing to be ashamed of No there's not Oh there's nothing to be ashamed of No there's not, no there's not So start Come on, let's go And I wrote a song about you mm -hmm. Called The Bluest Line mm -hmm. I mean it's about us, it's about our relationship you don't like that song? It's never been one of my favourites, no. Why? I don't know, I'd have to hear it, because I've forgotten it. Is it because I uh, compared me to Jesus rather than you in the song? <laughs> Possibly. I don't um, know. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just... Is it a musical problem or a lyrical problem? I don't know. Alright, let's see if it's lyrical, right. Okay, so it's... <laughs> oh, God. So, I washed, I washed your mouth out with blood and ice, hung from the rafters like Jesus Christ, waiting to forgive us all. I should have expected that the fool would make us stop talking. And I'm walking round an empty room, dreaming of going back to that room. That the fool would make me stop talking. And I am walking round an empty room, dreaming of going back to that room. Watching you push me out push me Again down. somewhere you're standing. Standing. standing In the rain and you are not Talking, not talking. To, to anybody, anybody.
but the drops But the water always listened to you The line we were was always blue It broke us through The ceiling and the clouds The line we formed was always blue Out for some paper to wrap you in when I spit you up. But we can sort out all those things later when we drain the dregs from these cups and stops. Talking doesn't matter whose voice is loudest. All us are mic'd up. I'm thinking of a time when you were younger. Our singing stopped us from talking to anybody but ourselves Never saying anything new The line we were was always blue And it lied to you as you were dealing with the Yeah, it's, it's, they're good lyrics um, Maybe the lyrics are a little um, a little personal yeah and I suppose that's something that held me back a bit from it so you didn't like that they were personal because they're quite ambiguous to the audience yeah they're ambiguous to the audience I mean that's something like, I, I learned from you I try to emulate is that there's an it's nice to have an ambiguity in your lyrics mm. yeah um, I think I was just um, I don't know, I'm not very good at uh, taking I don't know There's as many compliments as there's insults Yeah But there's insults I don't mind that <laughs> That's I mean, fine It's just I, th- I just Don't like things being personal you don't like them being personal, but you yeah. write personal songs sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think it's like when, it just makes me feel a bit uneasy for some reason. Is it? I'm writing our history. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah, something like that. Maybe. And you're not getting to write it. Possibly, to, yeah. it's not a collaboration. Maybe it's because that song is about both of us, and you try to write it to be about both of us. Yeah. Whereas with the lights, I try to write it more about. more about myself maybe interesting so do you think I mean because I mean because I, I, I mean I think that the bliss line is completely written from my perspective hmm. I mean it's about how I find it hard and lovely and brilliant and terrible trying to collaborate with you and that sometimes when we're together that seems like the best thing the best combination and other times it feels like it's a stifling impossible combination where we're never going to manage to to get it to work Mm. I'm the one that's the subject of the story like I'm talking to you you're like the person I guess I'm in love with or whatever in the the narrative of the song (laughs) so I, I didn't try and imagine your opinions or feelings in that from where I was standing Mm. No, but I think you worked them in there somehow. 
it's just a bit on the bone I suppose you might say feels a bit on the bone whenever I listen to that song which is you know which is a compliment and it's quite a conscious song as well isn't it you know it's like written yeah you know, yeah it's like, really written like from from this about this topic it took me fucking hours yeah it took me days and weeks and months to get the lyrics right before I even wrote the tune yeah right ah interesting whereas with lights it was much more just like what came out la, la, when la, you're la, playing the guitar and then oh it could be about that I mean I don't even think I realised that it was about me until afterward I have liked and loved a lot of your songs though just because I'm not the biggest fan of the bluest line you know there's ones that I've enjoyed much more uh, like Fragile Rain for instance which I think is a really really beautiful set of lyrics and a beautiful melody and there's lots of others like it as well that's nice to hear I mean I'm I'm a big fan of your work as well as you know I'm Mm. such a big fan of your work that I'm always hassling you to do it more (laughs) the last question that I ask people is do you have anything that you want to plug on Facebook there's two groups about my two TV shows that I'm trying to write at the moment. One of them's called Content, and it's about six refugees who get kicked out of a virtual paradise and have to exist in an apocalyptic world. And the, if you search Content, a new British science, was it? Uh, content, a new British sci-fi drama. Yeah then you can get the link for it and if anyone wants to go ahead and click like that would be grand and then there's another one for Echo which is the story of the genetically resurrected Neanderthal girl in the 21st century and that's called Echo, a science fantasy if you search that on Facebook you'll get a similar link and there's only 14 people or so who've liked Echo so far so do her a favour and like her like her because she's got a lot of issues yeah, well, I, I thoroughly endorse liking those things, and I'll put links up to them on the on the site. And the last thing I ask people to do is say goodbye to the audience. Uh, goodbye. Bye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted, have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.
It's a sign, it's a sign.